0: Hey folks, we're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you open God's Word to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, the reason I'm kind of jumping in and taking off is because I didn't get finished in the first service. I came in this, this morning, I looked at my notes, and I thought, that's too long. And I cut a page, hello. <laughs> you got to love old people, don't you? <laughs> And so I came in this morning, I looked at my notes, I thought that's too long. I, 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 so I cut an entire page of notes out. Still didn't get through. I should have put, cut three pages out. So I have no idea what I'm going to be doing this morning. And the folks in the balcony, not the balcony, but the uh, sound room, good luck on following me on the PowerPoint. I've... So <laughs> let me just jump in because I want to try to get through as much of this as I can. I know some of you in your Bibles, you write the date and my name beside a passage of scripture when I have preached it. And so, uh, if that's you, to save you from coming to me after the service, let me tell you that I preached this passage in 2016. I preached Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, uh, went through those two chapters in December 2016. I just want you to know these are entirely new messages. From the bottom of my heart, they're entirely new messages. But the reason I came back to Luke chapter 1 and 2 is because, as I've studied that text again, I was just fascinated by what I saw God doing in and through the people in in Luke chapter 1 and 2. You see, we're starting a new series today that's very, very short because we were supposed to start it last week and we got snowed out, but the title of the series is Do Not Be Afraid. Three times in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, the angel of God says to someone, Do not be afraid. The angel of God said that to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He said it to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And he said it to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so I, I was caught by that. I was fascinated by that. I began to dig into Luke chapter 1 and 2 again. And I found out something else very, very interesting and intriguing to me. That when Luke begins to tell the story of Jesus, he doesn't begin with Jesus. When he begins to tell the story of the birth of Jesus, he actually talks about the birth of two babies. And the first baby that he mentions is not Jesus. The first baby that he mentions is a baby named John. Which should cause us to pause for a moment and say what was so significant about this little baby that when Luke tells the story of Jesus, he begins by telling the story of this baby named John. And how is that story of this baby named John connected to Jesus? So here's the short answer and then we're going to dig in in the message. This little baby named John grew up to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent to introduce Jesus to the world. So even in his birth, isn't it interesting, even in his birth that John the Baptist was born first because he was the forerunner. He was coming to introduce Jesus to the world. Now, let me go back for a moment to the Old Testament to kind of paint the full picture for you. The last Old Testament prophet to speak in the Old Testament days was a prophet named Malachi, which is, of course, the last book of the Old Testament. The last thing that this last prophet of God said is found in Malachi 4. We're going to put it on the screen. And look at, look at the last thing that's in the Old Testament, the very last words. See, I will, send, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And notice this, this person I'm going to send. He will return the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's the way the Old Testament ends. I want you to remember this verse. I'm sending one like Elijah. I'm sending one in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm sending Elijah and he'll return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, when when you're opening your Bible, there's not a lot of distance between Malachi and Matthew. Uh, There's not very far from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what you need to realize is that between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is a period of 400 years. And during that 400 years, something significant happened God was silent. Don't miss this. There was no prophetic voice, no one was speaking on God's behalf. For four centuries, for 400 years, God was silent between Malachi in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament. During that period of time, that 400 years, God literally stopped communicating with His people. In fact, that 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew is called the the silent years. Now, guys, let me ask you a question. I did this in first service. They were afraid to answer because their wives were sitting right beside them. But guys, here's the question. Has your wife ever given you the silent treatment? And you live to tell about it. (laughs) Or it could be the other way, right? It could be, wives, has your husband ever given you the silent treatment? Do you know that God did that? Do you know that God gave His people the silent treatment and He didn't do it for 40 minutes. He did it for 400 years. And here's why. Israel had rejected God's words, so God announced that they would hear His words no more. Make sure you get this. Israel had rejected God's words, so He announced that they would hear His words no more. Look in Amos. Let's put it up here. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. God said, okay, if you're going to reject my word, then I'll be silent. For 400 years, he did that. Now, here's why that that matters when we come to the first pages of Luke. When you come to the first pages of the Gospel of Luke, here's what I want you to understand. We are still in the silent period. All right, so make sure you get that. When you come to Luke chapter 1, you're still in that silent period of 400 years. When you come to Luke chapter 1, God still has not spoken. Luke begins the story of Jesus during a time when God still has not spoken. And he begins the story by giving us an interesting side story of this little old man who lived in Jerusalem named Zechariah. In that day, if you were a male descendant of Aaron, you were automatically a priest. And Zechariah was indeed a male descendant of Aaron, so he was a priest in Jerusalem. And his wife was also, uh, Elizabeth, she was a, a descendant of Aaron, so she was the daughter of a priest. So Zechariah were godly people. And yet, according to the Scripture, and we're going to read it in a moment, I'm just trying to give you the backstory. But according to the scriptures, though they were godly people, they were an unusual couple. Here's the reason they were unusual. You see, according to Jewish standards, if you were childless, you were cursed by God. They were well beyond childbearing years, and they were not able to have children. And to make matters worse, if you were a Jew and childless in that day, it was almost as if you were an outcast. Something was wrong with you because you couldn't have children. God somehow was cursing you because you couldn't have children. So this was a source of great embarrassment and it was a source of great sorrow for this godly couple who continued to serve the Lord. They prayed for a child over and over and over, but for whatever reason, they were not able to have kids. God, watch this, God was silent. What was happening to the nation of Israel was happening to them as well. They still served the Lord faithfully, even though they were childless, heartbroken, and confused. Can I ask you a question? Have you, ever, have you ever been heartbroken and confused over what God has done or didn't do? Have you ever wrestled with your situation, your family situation, over what God has done or didn't do? So that was the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They served the Lord faithfully. They walked with God even though it had been generations since anybody had ever heard from God. Then the special day came. We're going to read about it in a moment. special day came when Zechariah, the old priest, had a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You see, William Barclay, the the scholar William Barclay, says that perhaps there were as many as 20,000 priests in that day. Because every male descendant was uh, considered to be every male descendant of Aaron was considered to be a priest that it was a very large number and and so the priest only served two times a year one week at a time, one week in the spring, one week in the fall they would they would go to Jerusalem they'd serve and the If you've got 20,000 priests, and even if you divide them up into nine different divisions, as they think they did, that's still a large number of priests. There's not enough for everybody to do. And so what do you do when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there, priests ready to serve? Well, you draw lots. And you draw the lot to see if you get to serve, and you draw the lot to see where you get to serve. And Zechariah, when he went to Jerusalem that day as an old man, he drew the lot. And I'm sure he looked at it and just amazed because he was going to get to burn incense in the temple, in the holy place of the temple. Can I say to you one more time, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This is not anything he had ever done before, nor would he ever likely have that opportunity again. This was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience to go into the temple of God, to go into the holy place, and to burn incense to God. Can't you see the old man kind of shuffling his feet into the temple, going into the holy place and shaking, partly shaking because of his age, and partly shaking because of where he was? And what he was doing, he was in the holy place, in the temple. He had never been there before. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And he's standing there offering incense. And, oh, by the way, he's doing something else. He's praying. The Bible tells us that he's praying. And you know what he's praying for? He's praying for a son. He's an old man. And he's praying for God to do the impossible. I mean, you would too, wouldn't you? See, Zechariah knew his Old Testament. He knew what God did for Abraham and Sarah in their old age. How he provided a son for them in their old age. So when he had his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple, he stands there in the temple, and he's praying to God for a son. And then it happened. Listen, listen, listen. As the old priest is standing in the temple, burning incense and praying to God and asking God to do the impossible and to give Him a son. Then it happened. God broke the silence. God broke the silence. After 400 years, God spoke. Luke chapter 1. hope you have your Bibles open. Luke chapter 1, verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all, the, all the, the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, here's the phrase, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And here's how we know what he's praying about. The angel says, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name, what church? Giving the name what? John. We'll talk about that in a minute. I love verse 14, just, just because of the human emotions tied up in it. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. It's almost as if God's smiling when he says this. I know you're an old man. You're supposed to be a grandpa by now, maybe a great-grandpa by now. I know you're an old man, but you're going to be a daddy. And when that boy is born, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. Now let's keep reading verse 15. <clears throat> For he will be great in the sight of the Lord He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled. Notice this. Here's an indication that this baby, there's something different about him. Here's an indication that this baby is something special. Because here's what it says. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. That's not said about many people in the Bible. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. There's something different. There's something special about this baby verse 16 many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God verse 17 see if verse 17 sounds familiar and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient and to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord does that sound familiar Isn't that what Malachi said as he was closing the Old Testament? God said, I'm going to be sending one. I'm going to be sending someone special. And and Luke says, This is him. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He'll go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now let's keep reading this story and see how it unfolds. Zechariah, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. I like this. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He's not going to say my wife is old. He's smarter than that. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife is kind of well along in years. So how can I be sure this is going to happen? Verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, now you'll be silent. God's been silent for 400 years. Now you're going to experience that too. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for the He kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I don't know what kind of signs he made, but can you imagine the excitement that he must have had when he came out of the temple? Having just witnessed what he witnessed, having just heard what he heard, having just... Uh, Got the promise that god had made him you're going to be a daddy when he came outside he was beside himself i don't know how he was trying to communicate there's an angel in there <laughs> you know i saw an angel but but he couldn't say anything he's trying his best as he could to communicate what he's experienced in the temple now let's, let's keep reading because the story gets so good Um. Uh, Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. In other words, he didn't get to go home that day. You ever thought about that? Let's say that he was in his second day maybe of service, and maybe his first day of service. You know, he's there for a week. And and first or second day of service perhaps is when the angel appears to him. He didn't get to go home that day. He couldn't call her up. Honey, you're not going to believe what happened today. He couldn't send her a text like, baby, I can't wait to get home because i got some news to tell you. He, he couldn't communicate. He had to wait until he got home at the end of the week. Now look what happened. Verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth, who was well along in years, after this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And mark this in your Bible, underline it. The Lord has done this for me. She declared, or she said, in these days he has shown his favor and taken away. Listen, listen, he has taken away what, church? My disgrace. Among the people. See, she was broken hearted. She had carried this all her life. This disgrace among the people. And yet, she still believed in God, and she still served God, and she still followed God. For sake of time, let's skip down to verse 57 and read about the birth of John the Baptist, how God kept His promise. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That was kind of the custom in that day. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Now, this caused quite a stir, because here's an old man who's had a baby. Everybody assumes we're going to call him Zechariah, Jr., I mean, what better way to honor the old guy than to name the little baby after him? And, and, and uh, Elizabeth is like, no, 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 no. We're not calling him Zachariah. We're going to call him John. And they're looking around at each other like, John? You don't have a John in your family? And look at the text. It's right there. Verse 61, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who, who has that name. Why would you want to call him John? You don't have a John in your family. Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Did you notice they didn't ask him? They made signs to him. Now, this is an indication of one of two things. Either, number one, when he lost his ability to, uh, to, to speak, he perhaps lost his ability to hear. That's why they were making signs to him. He not only lost the ability to speak... Now, some say he lost his ability to hear. But the scripture really doesn't say that, but it, that could be a possibility. Or it could be this, it may be that he lost his ability to speak and everybody just assumed because he can't speak, he can't hear. And so they're, they're making signs to him like, what do you want to name him? And he's like, I can hear, there's nothing wrong with my ears. I just can't speak. And so he asked for a tablet. He asked for a tablet, and the question is, what are we going to name him? And he wrote, his name is John! Exclamation mark. It's right there in the text. Look at it. Verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately. His mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Now, verse 66 is a verse I've been building towards and I'm almost out of time, but we'll get there. Verse 66, everyone, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, here's the question, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. You know what they were talking about in Judea and Jerusalem after the birth of John, little John? They weren't talking about how in the world did an old man like Zechariah have a baby? How in the world did an old woman like Elizabeth? have? Now they, they weren't, that's not what the topic of discussion was. The topic of discussion was this. What is God going to do with this child? But the Lord's hand seems to be on him. What then is this child going to be? That is a wonderful question. I want to put it, phrase it in another way. What is the purpose of John the Baptist? When Luke tells the story of the birth of Jesus, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He starts with the birth of John the Baptist. What's his role? How is he connected? We'll give you two things. We'll put them on the screen real quickly. Number one, John the Baptist was a bridge or a link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a bridge or a link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, the last of the Old Testament prophets was really John the Baptist. He was an Old Testament prophet living in New Testament times. Uh, he was the one that was to fulfill Malachi, the, the last chapter of Malachi. So he's an Old Testament prophet living in New Testament times. His, his role was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. He was that link to prepare the way. You, you know, even if you go to a big concert in today's time, if you go to a big concert, uh, who, who's, a big, who's a big country singer? You've heard, had, somebody's had a concert or something. Garth Brooks, all right. So if you go to a Garth Brooks concert, I guarantee you this, when the concert starts, Garth is not coming out as soon as the concert starts. If the concert starts at 6.30, don't look for Garth at 6.30. He ain't coming out until about 7.30. You know why? Because they've got something called an opening act. That opening act prepares the audience for what's to come. That opening act is, is there to say, okay, you're here to have a good time. You're here for a concert. We're going to give you a concert. And in a little bit, Garth is going to be coming out. Before he comes out, we're going to play. They're the opening act. You know what? That's what John the Baptist was. He was the opening act. God had not spoken for 400 years. He's not just going to show up one day and say, oh, here I am. No. No, 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 no. He sent John the Baptist sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for what God was about to do let me show you this in scripture look in Luke chapter 3 Luke chapter 3 verse 3 he speaking of John the Baptist this is now after he's grown he's probably about 30, 31 years old he John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins Skip down to verse 15. The people were, were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. People kept, you know... At his birth, they kept asking, what kind of child is this? And when he's 30, 31 years old and begins his ministry, they're still asking that same kind of question. They can still recognize there's something special, there's something different about this man. So they begin to ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one, the promised one we've been looking for since the Old Testament days? John kept saying, no. No. I'm simply the forerunner to announce that he's coming. I'm simply the one God sent to announce he's coming. The second thing that John the Baptist did, even more important, was this. He introduced the Savior to the world. He introduced the Savior to the world. Let me show you this in John chapter 1. O- over to the right, the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Again, it's a question about his identity. Who are you? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, who then are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now now skip down for just a moment. About to run out of time. Let Let me go down to verse 31. No, verse 29. The next day, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! There's Jesus. That's not what he said, is it? He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, that was his purpose for coming, and that's what he did his entire life. He continued to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and say this, God is speaking again, and he's speaking in a big way. There's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the Pharisees missed the point. They wanted to know who John was, but John wanted them to know who Jesus was. It's been a while since I've talked to you about the world's greatest grandbaby. So, So I think we need to fix that. She's 19 months old now. She was at our house a couple of weeks ago. And she was just walking around the living room. She, I should have brought, a, I should have put a picture on the screen. But she was just walking around the living room, just having a good time. And she picked up a bottle of water and she said, "Dad has water." And she came over and she picked up my Pepsi. She said, "Papa's water." I promise you, she did. I was pretty proud of her. I really was. Kind of, yeah, that's right. And then about a week ago, she was at uh, at the grocery store with her mama, Kelly. Kelly, Lily's in the buggy behind her and Kelly's looking at something on the shelf and she hears Lily say, Papa! Kelly looks around thinking somebody's walking down the aisle that perhaps looks kind of like me and that's not what it was. Lily looked at the Pepsi and was pointing at the Pepsi, Papa! Forever in her mind there will be a link between her Papa and Pepsi. Yes! Yes! That's the role of John the Baptist. Not Pepsi. But in his, here's his role. He said, I want you to forever connect the dots. I want you to forever say, when you see Jesus, you recognize He's God. And when you talk about God, you think about Jesus. I want you to forever see the connection between those two. Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John came for a purpose. His purpose was to introduce the world to Jesus. And oh, by the way, do you remember that he died shortly thereafter? Herodias, the King Herod's wife, had him murdered. Some people would look at that and say it was an untimely death, but it was not an untimely death. He fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled his mission in life. He introduced the world to Jesus. Jesus had started his earthly ministry and John moved off the stage. Jesus once said this about John. In, in uh, Luke 7.28, I don't know if y'all can skip to that slide. In Luke 7.28, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Of all people, no one fulfilled his God-given purpose better than John did. Now, I love, I love the backstory to the story of John the Baptist. Because can I remind you where all of this started and then we're going to close? Can I remind you where all of this started? Everybody look up here. Let me, let me tell you where it all started. When you when you see what all that John the Baptist did and, and how much he meant to the kingdom of God, can I remind you where it all started? It all started when there was an old priest. He's shuffling into the temple. He's carrying the incense. And he knows he's well beyond childbearing years, but he's asking the Lord one more time. You do the impossible. I'll never have another chance to stand here and pray like this so I'm just going to ask one more time God would you do the impossible? Did you give me a son? A son? Three lessons from the life of Zechariah I wish I had time to dig into them we're just going to put them on the screen lesson number one is this nothing is impossible with God in fact We'll get into it probably next week, but when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary to tell Mary, you're, about to, you're going to have a, a, a child, and Mary says, how is that possible because I've never known a man, I'm a virgin, and, and the angel says this, I want to tell you something, even your, your relative Elizabeth, who's well along in years, is six months pregnant, and the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. And so if you're living in a situation right now and your dreams seem like they're dead and it seems like God has been silent and it seems like heaven is brass and you're wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Would you simply go back into His presence one more time and say, God, will you do the impossible? Which brings me to lesson number two. Lesson number two is this. When you're tempted to quit, Keep serving God. Don't you know Zechariah had some days when he wanted to quit? Don't you know he probably had some days when he said, I'm done with the temple. I'm done with serving. I'm done with God. What has he done for me? He has forsaken me. He has rejected me. But I want to tell you something. This is hard truth. I am want to say it to you real quickly. It's a hard truth, but you either live surrender to the Lord or you live in rebellion against God. Which are you living in right now? Because Zechariah continued to serve the Lord faithfully, God was able to do something in his life he never dreamed God would do. Lesson number three is this. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. You just never know. You just never know what God might do for you and through you. If you keep trusting and keep praying, let's pray together right now. Would you join me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you have any dreams that seem impossible? Do you have any burdens that you've carried for a long, long time? Do you ever wonder if your prayers are doing any good because God seems silent for so long? Nothing is impossible with God. You say it's impossible, then what you're really saying is, you're saying more about your faith in God than you are in God's ability. Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize today, we acknowledge today, that though it seems at times that life is hopeless, situation is hopeless, we recognize you you are always at work to accomplish your will in our lives. Help us to live surrendered to You rather in rebellion against You. Help us to continue to serve You faithfully and continue to pray believing even when it's hard and it seems hopeless. And may You do something miraculous that can only be explained by You. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.